to process that much business, you really have to have a great team. And I, I give the team all the credit. And I would suggest to anyone listening that's in this business, your marketing plan, which we all like to talk about, is, is, is obvious. But your team yep. becomes part of your marketing plan. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Rich, welcome to the show. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks for having me. So f- probably for the last three years, ever since I started this podcast, I created like a running list of, of names in our business that are legends. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Your name has always been on that list, uh, mainly because I didn't, we didn't have a personal relationship when I first started um, in this space, but I knew that you hosted masterminds, you were a thought leader, you guys are doing some incredible work. And so I'm just, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. I don't have a, a 10 point agenda, but I do know that you can literally talk about anything, whether it's systems, whether it's your philosophy about life insurance, um, whether it's just life, because you, you have been extremely successful. And a lot of my mentors, a lot of people that I've learned have learned from you. And so with that, um, thank you for being on and uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure and I appreciate you having me. So I just, first of all, just want to commend you. I know um, a couple people in your sta- on, on your team that are my age. <laughs> Congrats. You, uh, you've been doing an incredible job um, raising up the next generation. And I, I think I would like to start with that. When, when you see where this business is going, when you, when you just think about the philosophy of just the financial service business in general, we don't have to talk about the product side. Where sure. do, what, what threats do you see um, to this industry? Yeah, it, it, and that's a great question. Um, and I, I've been often, often I've been asked that question, and I, I want to break it down by three generations. So the first generation would be actually four. We'll call it the you know the greatest generation who came up through the Great Depression. You know, by 25 years old, 21 years old, some of those individuals had already been exposed to a depression and World War II. And they operated predominantly in a world of scarce resources and needs versus wants. You know, my grandmother, grandmothers, you know, they didn't, if they didn't need it, they didn't buy it. End of story. The baby boom came along, things got better, credit was extended. And some of those people adopted some of those values. And some of those people tend to spend more money, which is always a conflict between those two generations. My generation, I'm 53, came along and we grew up through the go-go 80s. So as a teenager, you know, we saw a great economy. We came of age in the early 90s to the late 90s in my 20s and 30s, which was a great run in the economy, um, fueled at the end by the internet. And then the next generation came along and has seen things like 9-11, 2008, 2009, and now this crisis. So yeah. we've seen, you know, a hundred years of four distinct periods, if you will. And one of the challenges I think that's facing today's youth or this generation is the very nature of life insurance itself. We'll talk about that. You know, my son is 15. He is able to get at his fingertips anything, virtually anything that he wants. I, mean, I said this last night to a, an agent friend of mine we would have to go to the library and research, you know, the war of 1812. He hits a button on his phone, it pops up. So his world is immediate. And our product is built for the longer haul. So by, by nature of society, technology and change, the product seems to be diametrically opposed to the culture of how younger people are coming through. It's not a right or a wrong. It just is. I believe the average age of an advisor, you know, an insurance person in this industry is, you know, late fifties or so. So, you know, I want to be able to deal with today's youth. And I I think it's a very forward looking product. You know, you're looking for bright futures. So, so storytelling is probably my best way of helping young people 
get started and make good decisions. I, I absolutely love that and hundred percent agree. I, often people ask me like, Caleb, how at 19 did you get anybody to trust you? Cause it, I look young and I like my face makes me even younger <laughs> and, and I do truly believe it's tied to two things, empathy and the ability to cast a vision and through story. And yeah. um, I'm grateful for that. So can you give our audience just a background on like who you are, kind of where you, how you grew up. And then what I want to do is dive into two subjects. I want to, I know that you've hosted many masterminds around life insurance and there's a lot of misunderstanding on this subject. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Um, and then secondly, you guys are machine and I would love to just get leadership, operational wisdom uh, yeah. as that really, as it relates. Yeah. Okay. So, so upbringing, um, I grew up, uh, I was born in 1967 and I grew up through the seventies and what I would consider, you know, the next town over from where my office is now, the quintessential Brady Bunch like 1970s. Um, all the dads in my neighborhood were blue collar when I look back. Uh, we had a fence, gentlemen um, put in fences. We had a mechanic, my dad cleaned carpets, carpet cleaning business, um, beer truck driver, and uh, a mechanic. All the moms tended to stay home, you know, one income families at the time. And, you know, ignorance was bliss. We played out back, we had lemonade in the summers, we played flashlight tag at night. It was a nice, comfortable upbringing. In 1980, at age 13, my parents divorced. And that was a, a critical turning point. So my father had stayed in the home and my mother, sister and I, she's a year younger than me, went to live with my grandmother, my mom's mother. And in 1980, my grandmother's social security check was 400 bucks a month. My grandfather had passed. And my mother, who hadn't worked for 10 years, went back to work for $4.25 per hour. We went from middle class to below the poverty level. My uncle, looking back, helped out. So I knew that. I grew up fast. And um, my drive was starting to say, wait a minute here. This, there's got to be something out there. I, this is a tough, tough situation. And at 14, going into high school, my uncle sat me down and said, Rich, here's the deal. Your mother is broke and your father is broke. I can give you advice, but you're going to have to get yourself to college through school. And, and I, you know, I played quarterback at the time or football and football. So when I went into high school, the very first marking period, I tell this story to everybody. I was certainly not the brightest kid in my class. Uh, but the first quarter in Catholic high school, you got a, a rank, and mine was first. And a gentleman at the time came up to me, one of the students, and said, Rich, uh, that should be me. Now, I'm a lot smarter than you. He later became a physics professor. And I said, as long as I'm at this school, you'll always be second. So I drive, and I was willing to work. That was my ticket out. So I didn't, I didn't waste a lot of time. I couldn't waste a lot of time. Long story short, got recruited, played at the University of Pennsylvania, graduated from the Wharton School. And my father, who was a 1960, a Marine from 1960, his message to me, no matter what, was you gotta outwork the next guy. My mother's side is Sicilian. The Sicilians tend to be workers. So I don't know what comes out of that mix. There's probably some negatives, but. You definitely come out as a worker. I'm at, I'm at Penn. I'm in my third year, and I have a work-study job at the tennis courts, four bucks an hour. Every Tuesday and Thursday, these four gentlemen would come in, and from one to four o'clock would play tennis. You know, coming from blue-collar upbringing, I, you know, what is, what's that all about? Nice cars, nice clothes, 1987. Mr. Wallace, one day, I said, what, what do you do for a living that allows you to play tennis twice a week, one to four? And he's laughing. He says, well, we're in the financial services field. And part of that's about life insurance. Hmm. Throughout that semester, he would take a piece of paper and jot down some anecdotes and some notes. And one day he said to me, you know, if you're willing to work hard, your income potential is unlimited. I was an accounting major at the time. Switched my major, 
finance marketing, Bachelor of Science in Economics. And he was the person that made me think about this industry differently. Graduated from Penn, got into the industry in 1990. And the gentleman that trained me, God rest his soul, John Ormond, we were working at Provident Mutual at the time in a satellite agency, small office. And he said to me, if you're not selling 100 lives per year, you're not going to make it in this business. I had no, I had no you know, knowledge to say, is that a right number or wrong number? And he would sit with me every Monday morning, tell me about your schedule. And every Friday morning, tell me how it went. So there's the accountability. Yeah. And he taught me about referred leads. You know, his magic formula was 10 appointments, six closes, two sales, 15 referred leads. That's a formula that still works pretty well today. That was 31 years ago. And uh, he had a tremendous impact on me. In 1994, we left Provident Mutual and went to Phoenix Home Life. And the Phoenix Home Life Agency was outside of Philadelphia. That agency had spun off of an agency run by Sid Friedman, a, a true legend, true legend in the industry. And Sid was a worker. Mm. Well, all I wanted to do was have a chance to meet him. Well, somebody in our agency made the introduction. I go in to see him. And his, his, he wouldn't speak to somebody unless they had an appointment that day first. Like, <laughs> all right. I got to get my appointment first, then I'll go. I went, <clears throat> Sid, I said, I think I'm starting to get this thing. I'm starting to see people. It's starting to work, but I don't know if I'm doing the right things or not. Sidney, what's the secret to this business? What's the holy grail? And without hesitation, he said to me, kid, the secret is, there is no secret, work. And that was the last time, I think that was about 1994, that I ever questioned that word again. So three great years at Phoenix, the industry started to demutualize, bounced around for two years, set up a small office in another local town, got into my own office space in 1999. And around that time, I was introduced to LEAP. Yep. which is an excellent um, process, excellent system, phenomenal system. And uh, the belief in life insurance was already there, strong belief, protection and savings. And then LEAP gave me academic credence to understand money better. Um, and then the two planes hit the World Trade Center. And I saw a lot of things start to change then. You know, the middle and upper middle class had a great run in the market, and then that changed. Um, so savings became important. Protection became important throughout that era. And we had done a lot of life insurance planning and then 08, 09 hit and jobs were lost and markets declined by, you know, 50% in some cases. So we stuck with it and we just kept plowing through it. And somewhere in that era, I was introduced to a lot of John Savage's stuff a true legend also. Yeah. And John Savage in one of his seminars, I believe said, if you're not selling 200 lives a year, you're not working hard. Somebody asked him why he said, cause that's what I think. Which do you know, what's the average person in our business? I, like, I is it like 10 lives? I, I heard 38. I'm, I'm not up to speed on that number, but it's a pretty low number. And Savage used to say, what can you sell three of per year unless they're nuclear reactors? and succeed so he was serve the masses you'll eat with the classes serve the classes you'll go belly up again just a belief i gravitated towards that so we were always volume centric and then 2001 came along I'm, I'm, I'm getting my dates right here and i was introduced to ohio national at a leap symposium which was great there was a gentleman at ohio national george pearson who was a, a phenomenal man um, learned a lot from him and then somewhere in the mid-2000s, we started a study group with multiple agents from all around the country. I chaired it. I learned a lot from them. And also in that era, did some um, reading on Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach. Yeah, big fan of Dan. Yeah. And, and his thinking is, is phenomenal. And that thought process helped us too. So um, 
uh, you know, fast forward to today at 53 years old and a, a you know, respectably large client base, in this, this period of growth, we put together a lot of systems, which were trial and error, three ring binders, all the way down to the computerized. And at this point, it's, it's this, it's this. It's client acquisition on a favorable basis, preferably through a referral. It's data at the first meeting. It's case preparation, typically at 6, 6.15 in the morning, four or five mornings a week. Uh, we're pretty good at that. It's presentation. It's then yes or no. If it's yes, it's paperwork. And then there's a whole process of dismantling that file to get it to the other team members who are much better at that than I am, one of whom is my sister, who does all the new business for life insurance, who's wired like my father, uh, who is a Marine. <laughs> everything's spick and span, everything's in place. Get out of my way, I got work to do. So uh, she's a big asset here. And in recent years, you know, I've added Joe and Charles, and uh, they're two young guys doing a heck of a job. Uh, Chris runs the life insurance service end. He's been with me 18 years. And uh, Kareem's another staff member that assists too. So, um, you know, we're always refining and trying to get better at that. But in, in a nutshell, uh, to process that much business, you really have to have a great team. And I, I give the team all the credit. And I would suggest anyone listening that's in this business, your marketing plan, which we all like to talk about, is, is, is obvious. But your team becomes part of your marketing plan because we're selling an intangible and it's it's bought based a lot of times on how people feel yep yep so we, we want to make sure that we create that proper feeling it, it's so funny a lot of people focus on presentation what to say but if we are in the long-term business we have to have a team that is built to last and unfortunately this is no secret we have some legends in our space that don't even have a team what's going to happen when they pass away? It's like, it's, it's the ir ironies of ironies. Like, well, look at what business we're in yeah. and look at the lack of planning that we do. And yet it's, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to call out hypocrites because I need to look at myself first, but it's just very alarming when I look at what's, what's to come. I think the average age last I checked was 58. Mm. And, and so it'll be a very interesting time to see what, what the future looks like. And I know Oh, like where we're, what we're building, it's a very unique approach because it's like, I want to do this right. Cause I got to see you 30 years from now. <laughs> and I, and I don't want to have to apologize for anything um, because we were too focused on marketing or selling versus serving. So that's one thing that from multiple people and I've seen firsthand, your guys's team is tight and you guys yeah. have an amazing operation. Um, I, I want to touch on work ethic mm -hmm. because there, I mean, I'll be the first to say when I got into this business, one of the, one of the things that people always said is like, oh, like it's one of the best jobs because you get to do golf, you'll get to golf, you won't have to work that hard. And like for me, the way that we've set it up, it's just that's the complete opposite. I've always worked hard. And it's funny when we first talked, you're like, there will be no one in this industry that outworks me. And I'm not even going to argue with that because I work every day of the week, but you are literally at the office six or seven days of the week almost always seven sunday is you know mass and family time but i can usually get in here for two or three hours with with the guys and we try to reserve sunday for maybe that special case that's that's got a lot of different ways that you can go with it you know it's quiet you have your coffee and you can think that's what we try to use sundays for best we can so burnout what does your regular day look like and i've just realized that there are some people that are going to be listening to this because i'm very type a when i first started better wealth i was in the office before seven and usually would leave around 11 p.m 12 p.m and yeah. i was i just did because you when you're first starting something and i i was never interested in building a practice i wanted to build a platform a business and yeah. but i it's my understanding that you got you burn the candles at both ends every single day number one what does your day look like and number two how, like, how is that sustainable? And as you look back, do you have any regrets on how much you work? Yep. So, so great question. Um, I'll answer it this way. I, I, for years, and I don't know exactly when, this is 31 years, I don't really view this as work. 
My saying in here, our convenience store chain in the greater Philadelphia area is Wawa. And at 5.30 in the morning on Saturday, the golfers are all at Wawa. There's a, right near where I live, there's a golf course. They're getting their coffee in their golf attire. And I'm getting my coffee going to the office. I am no less happy going to the office in lieu of golf. I like to work. So that's, that's the passion piece. At this point, it's responsibility because there's a lot of people relying on me and my team. And I would say the passion, if you don't have passion, and look, I've been through periods in this business that went better than others and, and worse than others. When the passion isn't there, it's harder to work. You're working off energy, you're working off adrenaline. You know, it's, it's rare that I'm not moving, you know, by five o'clock in the morning. My old routine was the fitness center first, shower at the office we have here and, you know, 6.30, quarter seven, we're moving. Obviously now it's from home in, in, the, in Pennsylvania. So, so that early wake up is, is critically important. I've, my body is used to going till about three o'clock at 53. Then through the Winston Churchill advice during World War II, he took naps. Yeah. So I look at my life as one big week filled with naps. And it might be three to five, it might be three to four, some days it's none. And I very rarely miss dinner with the family. So what I was able to do, I didn't get married till I was 33. Logan didn't come along to 38. Carson didn't come along to 41. So I had a good 11 years under my belt before I got married. And I vowed that I would not miss time with my kids. I've coached nine years of football for Logan. Now he's in high school. You know, he's, 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 you know, with the high school team. And although I'm not a basketball guy, I coach Carson's basketball team. I was the, I was the cheerleader, so to speak for that. So I don't, I don't miss that. Um, You know, my philosophy is, you know, God and family in this business. And I've got the same buddies since we were 12 and 13. We all played high school football together. Their kids now come over and we have, you know, lately we can't, but you know, parties and swim and, what have you, Christmas get-togethers. It's, um, yeah. It really comes down to what Bill Belichick said when we was younger. I have to be supremely organized at all times, hence the team. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's keeping that discipline and, and working towards a, you know, a greater good. And you know, at this point in time, it, you know, the, the industry has been good to me. Um, you know, money, money is still part of the equation. You know, it's, it's a money business, but it's the passion to help people that's always been there. You know, the game is played for the love of the game. If the money's the trophy, that's fine, but you don't play for the trophy. You play for the passion and the love. And, uh, you know, I'm a football guy. So to me, the office is like a locker room Eh, You know, with Joe and Charles and Chris. uh, Sometimes I yell, but they're athletes. So they're used to getting yelled at. I know that's, that's the synopsis of your question. Yeah, I, I love that, man. And um, there's a lot that we could go into. I would say this um, in this season, it, in the season that I'm in, I very much respect that you take dinners off. And like, I want to design uh, a business where I don't have to be here all, every day, like mm-hmm. to make it run. Um, mm-hmm. But I love, I love this. Like I actually golfing, um, I live in Denver and people ask, do you go snowboarding? And I own a snowboard. I, for some reason struggle, not because I don't enjoy it. It's just because at this season of our life, I feel like I have a moral obligation to be here. So to build something, not just for myself, but for the impact that we're having on other people. And I've like, I'm sure you've had people break down crying in your office, showing them what's possible or, or delivering a death benefit. And so um, can yep. you ta- touch yep. on what that passion looks like? Because when yep. you said that, I'm like, I 100% resonate. It's not like I love paperwork. It's not like I love everything that I do, but I love the results that we're headed towards. I, I can speak to that. First and foremost, my belief is that life insurance is a protection component. And buying the right amount, regardless of company or kind, is important. You know, Leap uses the word human life value, 20, 30 times income, depending on age. But it's also a belief system. You know, I always, for whatever reason, I believe that if someday 
the good Lord took me and I, I didn't come home, that I would want my wife and my kids' lives to go on as best they could if I was still there. And I'll tell you a story that, that sort of changed my belief system. I was 24, I think it was my second or third year. And there was a young couple in our community and they rented an apartment. And I remember they had a child, small child, and she was pregnant with their second. And I was young and I did a $50,000 whole life policy. I think it was like 30 bucks a month. And within a year or so, he passed away suddenly. And I thought $50,000 at 24 was a lot of money. And I delivered the check to the wife. And she said to me, what do I do next year? And from that day forward, I always have offered the right amount. I, 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 that became something that, that stuck with me. Um, you know, we've delivered over 31 years, close to 100 death claims. I've seen the value of this product. I believe in it immensely. I also tend to do better with people who will set aside some of the material items for the premium to protect their family. That's, that's not everybody, but that's who I typically do best with. So like people draw like people. And when you're all synergistically aligned, the decision-making process becomes a lot easier. And, and it doesn't have to be perfectly aligned, but it's, it's got to be in the right ballpark. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm watching the kids grow up without a, without a parent who went to college because of the insurance, who are now coming in as young adults, as clients. Mm, I can't get that feeling from a lot of other things. I, I, I believe in that. I really yeah. do. I can sadly relate to that. Even being in the business only a couple of years, I, I, I can sadly relate with that. And it's, and it makes me even more passionate for what we get to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that. And I, I've come full circle because when I first got in, I, I saw life insurance and all the benefits of overfunding whole life insurance. And sometimes you can go to extreme and then forget the reason why life insurance exists to begin with. So what I want to do next is I want to, I, I know that you've hosted some of the smartest people in our industry mm -hmm. at your place and you guys have had study groups. And um, my hope is if, and when you start that back up, I'll get an invite. Um, yes, and will. I would, you will. I, you will. I would love to hear like out of all the things that you've learned, you guys have playbooks. I know I've, I've talked to Joe a lot. Uh, in your office. And I'm just blown away by the amount of knowledge that you guys have. Can yep. you walk through, I know virtually, I, I don't know if you're a whiteboard guy, I am, um, but virtually or, or just with your words, can you walk through a conversation of why you're such a huge fan of life insurance and, and specifically um, overfunded whole life insurance? And uh, I would just love to hear how you articulate that. And I want my audience to hear yep. how you yep. articulate that. I, I, we tend to attract also a, a number of athletes, but I'll use an analogy if it's an athlete, a musician, somebody who's great with art, I try to talk in language that they'll relate to. So when we're talking about the product life insurance, overfunded, building cash value as quickly as we can, although it's not as um, potentially profitable early as saying finding the hottest stock, very rarely in life do you pay too little and get too much. And what I'll talk to athletes about is what's happening, you know, and typically in the month of August. Football requires two or three practices a day for the better part of two weeks. It's hot. Nobody likes it, but you got to do it. If the star quarterback went to the coach and said, you know, I don't want to do this two weeks. I just want to play on Friday nights when the lights come on. You're probably going to be on the bench. I, I don't like the word shortcut. I, I like, you know, you feel better about yourself if you work hard. So I look at life insurance the same way. That's going to be the building block. That's going to be this blocking and tackling. That's going to be the heart and the base. Um, bank account money for liquidity and fallback and peace of mind. And what I'll do with life insurance in the bank is I'll look at that as the left tackle and the right tackle or the drummer and the guitar player. 
Now, sometimes the, the back, you know, the, the lineman and, and the, the, you know, the, the musician in the back don't get as much credit as the quarterback and the musician out front, but you need everybody. And after those two things are thoroughly understood by the client with the right amount of savings, the right amount of insurance, the proper money supply flowing into the policy, then the rest of this stuff can be discussed. So if we can get those two things right for somebody, I feel pretty good about the job that we're doing. What are like, what are like turnoffs? If people like, if people are not resonating, do you just, do you not take them as a client or do you pivot or well, what? Cause that, I know you, you yeah. have the freedom to not like, you can do what you want at this point and only work with people that you align with. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my uh, bottle of beer test. I call it. My dad taught me this. He, if you can't sit with somebody for two hours and have a, have a, a beer together or two, um, it's probably not somebody you want to necessarily work with. And, I, and that's just, you know, there, there's no exact science to that one either. I think what doesn't work is if somebody doesn't have a stick to it personality. So if I'm, if I'm, you know, beyond, okay, we like each other, we can have a beer together, so to speak, or a glass of wine or a Coke. Or what then about it, a LaCroix? Do you guys oh, drink that? <laughs> that too. <laughs> then, it, then it's okay. We've got that. Now, now can we discern some stick to Do they have the discipline to stay with X per month or X per year? Yeah. Certainly if they have assets on the board in other places, that's a, that's a different kind of model. So I, I think those are the things that matter. And the, the other piece that matters, what I said before, the prioritization of what's important. You know, if the family life isn't as important to somebody as individual gain, sometimes that product is not aligned with that because there is a cost, obviously, for the death benefit. Um, so there are the, the couple things we'll, we'll sort, sort by. But with a number of existing clients who do refer, like attracts like. Yeah. So, so usually we're, we're, you know, we're in pretty good shape when the referral comes in. So there's a lot of names. Some people call infinite banking. Some people call cash flow banking. My book is called The And Asset. Um, how do you talk about that type of strategy? I know you guys do a lot of um, different strategies. How do you talk about that type of strategy? And if someone comes to you and says, hey, explain to me this th concept of the and asset. Hopefully you're like, oh, that book is garbage. Hopefully you don't say that. But like, how would you explain that to somebody? Because I get you want to get the foundation. 100% get that. I'm looking for three to four minutes of more advanced of like, why is this asset type? Yep. Why can that be powerful for someone in their financial life? Yeah. So, so let me, let me have some fun with you for a sec. Um, I've got a fifth room in the house that's not insulated and it, it tends to get hot or cold in the summer months when it's hotter. I I'll do my workout in that room on the table next to the exercise bike in my reach is your book, the end asset. Um, what the Rockefellers would do by um, Gunderson. Yeah, I believe it is the infinite bank. And my John Savage book, The Easy Sale. Um, I've got Sid Friedman on the other side. So I, I read over and over again. Because you, oh, when you read a book or read, you, you always pick something up the second time. Yeah. So, so what, what's great with the, if you have a really good opening meeting, you know, closes get easier if the opens are good. In between the first and second meeting, we'll send out a number of books or articles approved, what have you, read up on it. If the client comes back in and has read any of those aforementioned books and it doesn't excite them or they're not intrigued or it's not for me, you kind of know that. If they are interested, but they didn't get around to reading it, you know, we might delay the meeting. So if, if you get their mind around, what are we doing here? And the common, common question is, if this is so good, why isn't everybody doing it? And I said, the people that understand it are. You just have to expose yourself to it and, and you'll make the final decision. So arming somebody with that kind of information makes the second and third meetings flow a lot better. That's been a, a big technique of ours for years.
I, I love it. Is there any personal story on how you've used it or how one of your clients have used a strategy like the end asset where you look back and say, wow, like that, that's powerful. And that, that showed they, they were able to show up in a way or do something because yeah. that was in, in their life. Yes. Uh, one of the stories does come to mind. Um, one of my clients, both actually both their sons were off offered partial scholarships at one of the local private high schools, uh, private grade schools too. And by taking a loan against a life insurance policy and helping fund that education, um, the oldest son was able to get a full four-year scholarship to a really good college. So, so I'm not so sure if we didn't start together earlier in life that that dream would have been a reality. Maybe that kid goes to a different school and maybe his future doesn't look as bright. Um, so I, I think that becomes important. Also, with clients of mine who are charitably inclined, nothing real, real fancy, you know, a loan against the life insurance policy, non-direct recognition, the cash value still earns. And that loan might go to a, a local high school or a local grade school or the church to help somebody yeah. who needs it more than they do. And that creates a real feel good. And um, I, we've had some, I do some fundraising. So we've had some success with that also. I love it, man. I love it. Um, thank you for being such a, being open to sharing a little bit about your practice. I um, have a ton of respect for what you guys are doing. I want to move into now operations, leadership, um, sure. where you guys are going. It's funny because on one hand, um, I would love to play a role in what you guys are doing technology wise. And on another hand, I want to spend a week with you and bring some of my team and just watch what you guys do because you guys are a machine. So talk to, talk to me and hopefully people, because there's a lot of clients listening to this. There's a lot of people that are not in our business, but then there's quite a few people that are actually in our business that listen to me. Um, so I'm hoping to make this relevant for people across the board. But sure. one of the things that you are like the reason you are on top, and I would love for you to share on average how many clients you guys serve a year, yeah. but like sure. you guys have a machine and it's impressive. And people like me are learning from people like you to try to up our game as it relates to our ability to continue to serve. Sure. Great question. So, so here's where it starts. Our week starts Thursday at 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. And that means when somebody looks at that, here comes Saturday and Sunday. That is a great psychological benefit from my younger years, walking in on Monday morning and knowing that your week started Thursday night, Friday, half a day Saturday, maybe sometime on Sunday. So the first thing is that's a mindset change. It's not for everybody and it doesn't work for everybody, but you ask me the question, I'll tell you how we think. Um, my team, so I, I typically do pretty well with younger guys that are not, that don't have kids yet. So they can work longer hours because they don't have as many family commitments. Joe and Charles come to mind. Chris has been with me 18 years. So when he was younger and obviously he got married, had a child. So his life changed and that's the way it's supposed to go for some people. Um, it, then the second piece is our files for clients are gold. And 22 gold files per week is the goal. That's 22 meetings. I typically don't see clients on Thursday, but every so often I'll, I'll sneak a couple clients in even on, and Thursday's a catch-up day. So with 22 files per week, you can imagine you're gonna to need to prepare four or five files per day. And if each one takes give or take an hour, there's where the 6 a.m. start comes in. And it's that right there, the Thursday at four and the 22 cases and the 6 a.m., that's where we're different. And if we're processing on average between 250 and 400 life insurance applications per year, We've had years north of 400, very rarely under 250 for the better part of 20 years. You've got to have a very disciplined system from the application with all the data filled out, proper documentation, the 
application then goes to my sister, Deb, and that starts the underwriting process. The exam is preset by me. I'll pick a time with the client. And the doctor's records, the APSs, the medical records, Deb orders from the office. So we don't, for those in the business, we don't let that be outsourced to somebody else. I like to control that. A lot of my business is done locally. So we know we have a relationship with many of the doctor's offices at this point in time. Um, and then there's a sales. Yeah, and you guys, you guys work with people majority that are local, correct? Yes. Uh, you know, one, everybody's different on this one. I, I stayed, you know, I, I went to, I'm from 20 minutes west of Philly and went to Penn, stayed at home. So I, you know, I'm in, you know, the next town over from where I grew up. I live yeah. six minutes from the office. My office commute has no traffic lights. I designed the office that way. That was a. Right. Yeah, so, well, I'm saying like there's advantages because you guys know all the hospitals and, and yes. so there's, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, continue. I don't want to interrupt. I just no, see the power right. of being local and how yeah. that, that can be an advantage as well. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so then that, that once that piece of business is put into what we call the sales cycle and on average, there's between 50 and 80 cases in the sales cycle at various stages that's reviewed rather rigorously two to three times per week. Joe and Charles are important in that. Um, signature pages, signatures, applications, um, tracking down the occasional APS, answering clients' questions that are, are you know, minor in detail, sometimes major. And then uh, the case is placed, the case gets paid. And then w one of the younger guys, Joe or Charles is typically uh, having the client sign the policy, they're obviously both licensed. And once it goes through policy delivery, that client is then set up on a 90-day review process in our database. And I would suggest that's pretty important. It's very important. We, we do the same, and I would say that's one of the most powerful things that we've implemented. Yep. And what 90 days gives you in the first 90 or the first year that's the aha. That's the wow. You know, I haven't, you know, you want the client to say, I've not gotten this before. To check in call at six months might just be, hi, how are you? If there's not much has changed. The one year meeting tends to be more extensive. And then every 90 days thereafter. I, I obviously am not doing all those emails or calls. Um, you'll laugh at this, Caleb. I don't touch the computer. If you ask me to turn on this Zoom call today, I wouldn't know what buttons to hit. So I, that's, 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 I'm not joking about that. No, either. I actually think I it's necessary. It's yeah. I've, I've, be, I've stopped checking my email. The reason is I just get so distracted. And so I have a, I still do email. Do you not email at all? We, we do, but I'm, I'm usually sitting with somebody yeah. helping them answer the email. Sometimes my team in large part can answer most of the emails. Yeah. Some need, some need my thoughts. I'm headed in that direction, and I, I envy that. And I, by the end of this year, I will most likely not be checking email at all and on a rare basis touch base, but, but our team is becoming better and better at knowing what I would say and, and how to better serve. Because let's be honest, if you and I were checking email, we, we, would not, we wouldn't be the best people for that because we might, there will be a delay. Yeah. And that's what we found is because of the volume of people reaching out, we got to, we had, we have to find a better way to communicate and get back to people. And I, I, I think part of that process, if you will, I'll add a, add a, an, an intangible to that. My clients know this. If they called me at midnight with a problem that was serious, I would get out of bed and go meet them at the diner for coffee. I think that just resonates. And, and, you know, my dad was a Marine, which means, you know, there's a code. He raised me with that code and that's it. We're in the bunker. We're going to stay in the bunker till the job's done. And whatever that gets us, it gets us, but it's a lot better if we're not there. So that, that becomes part of the philosophy of the office. Do you, do you think that the reason why most people fail in our business and just in life is because of work ethic? I, I do have a thought on work ethic. It, it's the individual success in part is becoming less applauded. 
And that's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different. And if you say the key to success is working hard, um, somebody's trying to work smart. And I completely get smart. How about smart and hard? That's thank you, my friend. I, I, I don't, it's not rocket science to me, but it's like, why is it an either or? Uh, yeah. I, I think it could be a and kind of conversation. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, love and, it. And, you know, I think too, maybe from competitive sports, I think, you know, if you're spending a lot of time with a team, you know, most people that retire from competitive sports miss the locker room type stuff. So if you're doing something goal centric together and you're going after it, you know, you lose track of time. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if, if it's not fun anymore, then you're not going to want to do it more. You're going to want to do it less. And as long as it's still fun, you, you know, why not keep doing it? I, I, I love it. A um, couple, couple of questions before we wrap this up. Is, is there any book uh, that has kind of shaped your philosophy of your work ethic um, other than maybe the Bible or any, like, I, I, I know that that's probably key, but is there any like book that you're like, it's a must read if someone's going to work at the office? There's two. Um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and more recently, The Patriot Way by Bill Belichick. I am infatuated with the Patriots' success for 20 straight years. Um, I'm a football guy. That is not easy to do. That's hard to do. And and Think and Grow Rich is just a thought process um, that's second to none, my my humble opinion. Yeah, someone told me to read that early on. And um, I always tell people, and I recommend thinking Grow Rich, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, I, I, I think as a Christian myself, it, sometimes I, I anchor it. And it's been one of the most powerful books I've read over six times. So if that, if that gives you any insight to how much I like that book. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, I'm just and, and, yeah, and a great way to maybe, um, a thought at least, with reconciling that you know, with some spirituality, if you will, of some sort, everybody's got unique talents. So if one is, is fortunate enough to be talented in any industry, certainly an industry like ours, and you live humbly and you live below your means, then you could take some of that treasure and give back to institutions and people that you believe in. And you could literally with one check change somebody's life. So that's very powerful. And I, I, I think that, that gets you out of bed in the morning, for yeah. sure. And, and for me, it's, it's, it starts with how you think. And I, and I wish we as Americans understood that. It's like mm-hmm. it's so easy to look at, look at the external things in life and just, just say like, oh, they're wealthy because of this or that. And, and look at what you have and say like, I have no shot. And I just think the way that we think is far more important uh, than what people see on the outside. And so 100%, um, how, would, how would you define better wealth? Peace of mind, knowing that at any point in time, you're free to make choices to spend your money and your time as you see fit. Knowing that there's a high level of predictability of the outcome when you accumulate wealth. What's one financial myth that you wish people didn't believe? Trying to find all the right engines and not understanding the importance of the octane that goes into the engines. We've got it backwards. We're looking for the highest yield. It may or may not work. Some years it does, some years it doesn't. But we're not, we're not formulating a strategy with the right input, octane, or money supply to be more technical. I, I've now explained it as if we need, we need to be focused on results. And so, so often people are focused on other metrics and not necessarily the results that they actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love the way that you put that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah, I was going to ask you to like follow up on that because I'm like that, that the whole engine oil thing that, that, that was, a, but yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Um, the question that I always end, um, and I'm really curious to hear your, your thoughts before I go into the legacy question, I want to ask about regrets. Do you have any regrets in your life? I do. I do. 
one of the biggest regrets that I have in my life is in the early part of my marriage, I should have spent more time at home. Mm. And I, I would say it's a minor regret, but it's a regret. I've, I've done the best I can with my drive to change that in the more recent years. Yep. Um, but I, I have, Amy's been an excellent, excellent wife and, and allowed me to, to go and do some things with long hours that, you know, maybe looking back, I could have did a little bit less, but I would say that's a minor regret. I, I appreciate you sharing that because as someone who's not married, um, but is someone that hopes to be married someday, that is, that is good for me to hear. Um, so legacy question goes like this. If this is your last day on earth and the people that you love the most, um, which probably would include Joe, Charles, and your family, what would you share with them in that last conversation on all the things that you've learned? You can't give them anything tangibly, but you can give them wisdom. What, what would that conversation look like? You never had to worry about how I thought or how I felt. I was always open and honest with you. And I gave you something with work ethic that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. It's powerful. It's powerful. Rich, thank you so much for coming on. How can people you know, connect with you? If you're okay, after the fact, sure. we might put your email address in the show notes so that people sure. can reach out. Yep. But um, um, thank you for sure. making this happen. Yeah, email rich at wesseltcapital.com. Phone number at the office is 610-650-1840. And I'd be happy to personally speak with anybody that's, that's got any follow-up questions. This, this is what makes our industry so great. And this is, this is what allowed a 19-year-old kid who wanted to make a difference to actually give me the platform is people like you. So thank you so much. Um, I, I'm, I am a, I am a, a better person because, because of you. And um, I, I look forward to the, what the future holds. And I look forward to continuing to learn systems, conversations, mindset from you and your amazing team. So take care and uh, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.